Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The White House this week unveiled an expansive series of reports on the crypto industry, which is made up of digital assets and servers and crypto mines that seemed kind of silly about a decade ago, but have since mushroomed into a full-blown thing we all apparently have to start thinking about. The reports were asked for by an executive order back in March of this year and hinted at some form of future regulatory structure for crypto and also inched forward toward the creation of a dollar-backed digital currency. Now, for me, I've always placed crypto somewhere between pointless and a scam, and that's setting aside the energy and carbon side of it. But it really doesn't seem like it's going away, and ignoring it doesn't seem to be the best approach. Ben McKenzie is a writer, an actor, and a director, and has been one of the leading voices among crypto skeptics out there. This summer for The Intercept, along with Jacob Silverman, he filed a deeply disturbing dispatch on the world of crypto in El Salvador, headlined, Naya Bukele's broken Bitcoin promise. El Salvador's embrace of Bitcoin didn't bring prosperity. It rode in with waves of repression. He's also writing a book about crypto and fraud with Jacob called Easy Money, which will be published by Abrams Press in 2023. Ben is cursed, or perhaps blessed, depending on how you see it, to be known most places he goes as Ryan from the OC, but hopefully by now he's at least equally appreciated for his crypto work. And Ben, thanks so much for joining me, and welcome to Deconstructed. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you for having me. Great intro. And so before we get to the uh, White House announcement, let's talk uh, first about your El Salvador piece. But most of it is pretty brutal, but there's also this one funny moment I wanted to read from you. So you and Jacob wrote, Attempts to contact the president via his preferred medium, Twitter, were unsuccessful, except in causing a minor Salvadoran social media flurry that an actor from the TV show Gotham was in town. So did you ever hear, did you ever hear from anybody inside the Bukele circle, whether he, he saw that bat signal that you, that you tried to put out? We never heard anything. And it was quite funny. We, we had uh, a lot of different contacts were given to us in his administration. We reached out to, I want to say, at least half a dozen. Nobody took us up on the offer. And to make matters worse, you know, so I'm here. I, I played a young Commissioner Gordon on a TV show called Gotham. And Naib Bukali, the president of El Salvador, fancies himself as a, as a Batman. He, he loves mm, he's the, vigilante. the comics. And he's the vigilante. He's the tough guy. He's rooting out crime. And so I tweeted at him from inside his country to, to no avail, even though we know, or we can certainly imagine that he was probably glued to Twitter mm -hmm. uh, actually at that very moment, because some pretty shocking allegations have come out from Alfaro, the uh, local uh, uh, opposition newspaper had released some audio recordings of members of his administration who had basically cut a deal with the gangs in order to stave off gang violence, which is a big problem in El Salvador. They had, you know, cut a deal and said, if you don't you know, mess with each other, then we'll, we'll leave you be. That gang violence had re-erupted uh, in the spring, which had caused Bukele to administer martial law, which is where we found the country when we visited there in the spring. Uh, but anyway, uh, the, the worst of it all was that Naib is a, is a total celebrity uh, He's a lover of celebrities. He had just met with Daniel Baldwin. Uh, there was a there was a whole a whole to do. They actually did a they called a press conference for him to meet with the Baldwin brother that you never knew existed. Daniel, I'd never heard of him until you mentioned. That. Yeah, I try I tried not to take it personally, but you know what? Uh, he he probably didn't want to talk to me because I'd have some. some some tough questions for him. I think. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say a a, a friend of mine at a at a party once that had a bunch of celebrities because it was like around Obama's inauguration was asked if he was a celebrity. Uh, and he mentioned a Baldwin. He made up a Baldwin name and, uh, and they all, they all took a picture with him because <laughs> nobody's going to question you if you just say a name and a Baldwin. Uh, but so, you know, for those listeners that who don't know, Bukele, uh, calls himself the quote, cool dictator. Uh, and, and he officially adopted crypto in El Salvador, basically on the day correct me if I'm wrong, basically on the day that it completely blew up. <laughs> yeah. 
what did you learn about like the crypto uptake in and how how people in El Salvador are ad adopting it? Right. So they're not uh, <laughs> is the short answer. Uh, uh, in June of uh, 2021, Bukele, with sort of out of nowhere, announced that El Salvador, this small uh, mountainous country lacking in natural resources uh, and quite quite poor, the average Salvadoran makes about three hundred dollars a month. Uh, was suddenly going to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender in, in uh, September, so only three months later. This was quite a surprise to, you know, the world, but also to Salvadorans themselves. And the marketing pitch was quite, you know, it was, a, it was an interesting marketing pitch because on the face of it, maybe this could work, right? El Salvador's economy is heavily dependent on remittances. Uh, about a quarter of the economy... 24% uh, is the two to three million Salvadorans who live in the United States who send money back home. And if you could use Bitcoin uh, rather than traditional means, Western Union, MoneyGram, then theoretically, this could boost government coffers. It could theoretically reduce transaction costs for the customers. Could be a win-win, could be a game changer, right? But like everything in crypto, <laughs> things did not go according to plan. And effectively, as we find ourselves here, no one is using cryptocurrency, almost no one in El Salvador. Government-owned figures have shown that less than 2% of remittances are using the Chivo wallet system that they set up. Um, there's a number of reasons for that, but one of them is that the system doesn't work very well. They built a system on top of Bitcoin. And another is that the people don't trust the government to, to make things work very well. Bukele himself is popular, but people would rather go with the things that they've relied upon, Western Union, MoneyGram, traditional services, even paying the larger fees so that the thing works, first of all, you're not ripped off, and you're not exposed to the volatility of the underlying cryptocurrencies themselves. And, and I think that's really such a shining example of rubber hitting road here. You know, these cryptocurrencies are not actually currencies by any reasonable economic definition. They're a poor medium of exchange, unit of account, and store of value. Those are the three functions of money that economists look for when they look for a, a reasonable currency. They're really much more similar to unregistered and licensed securities. They're investments of money in a common enterprise with the expectation of profit to be derived from the efforts of others. That's the definition of a security under American law, under what's called the Howey test. Mm -hmm. And they're being sold in these, you know, unregulated marketplaces. So the, the propensity towards fraud is just sort of undeniable. Um, and it's really kind of a sad thing that it, it got adopted by a country that could ill afford to spend the hundreds of millions of dollars that they spent to, to roll out this, this uh, disastrous program. Securities, though, in general, represent shares in a thing, like in a, in a thing that produces some something of value. You could debate the amount of the value, but usually it's a company that produces something. And so this feels more like these kind of mafia companies that don't actually make anything, and then they, but then they have a stock that a bunch of stockbrokers sell that then drives the price up, then they all dump it on the market yep. and, and move on to the next thing. What's the difference between a classic mafia pump and dump scheme and, and this? There's not much. There really isn't. I mean, you hit it right. You hit the nail right on the head. It's air. It's it's securitized air. They securitized, I mean, un, in an unlicensed and unregistered way, some bits of computer code that people are sending back and forth to each other on these things called blockchains. And a blockchain, for all its, you know, supposedly innovative nature, is not innovative, really. It's 30 years old. Blockchains have been around. Since 1991, Stuart Haber and Scott Stornetta at Bell Labs came up with a way of creating a way of storing information in blocks that can be added to rather and, and never subtracted from. The reason that blockchain has not taken off outside of crypto is that it doesn't really work very well. And the computer scientists that Jacob and I have spoken to on the book, you know, are extremely dismissive of this. So you're absolutely right. What they're really doing is they're telling a story. Robert Schiller, the Nobel uh, Prize-winning economist, has, has spoken about this, I think, quite well. He's talked about how economic narratives form. And the, the narratives come from somewhere. In the case of crypto, the genesis, I would say, is, is the subprime crisis. 
which created a lot of distrust of financial intermediaries and banks and, and the financial system, for good reason, you might say. Uh, they utterly failed us. Uh, and so that energy was directed, you know, you could say on the left, it was directed towards Occupy, and on the right, it was the Tea Party. But in terms of uh, the cypherpunks, this was directed towards creating this trust, quote unquote, trustless currency. Well, it didn't work as a currency, uh, but eventually it sort of worked as this thing that you could gamble on. Mm -hmm. And you could create all these other currencies, quote unquote, currencies that, again, you don't know who's, who owns the majority of these quote unquote coins. You don't know what they're doing to inflate the value of those coins. There's a lot of what's called wash trading going on in crypto where you, you basically trade the coins back and forth amongst accounts you control to inflate hmm. the value to make it look like there's a market. And then, you know, once you've gotten real people in, regular real money in, then you dump and you cash out into real money. Um, that's happening an awful lot. You know, that's why you're seeing arrests, you know, almost mm -hmm. by the day. And so... When, when the when the crypto world blew up uh, the, around the time that Bukele uh, was adopting it, uh, there was a thing called a stablecoin that completely collapsed, which I found kind of amusing. Well, not amusing for the people who lost their shirts, but <laughs> what why what is a stablecoin? That if if somebody told me that they were selling me a stablecoin, that would be my first kind of indication to go away. Like, why are you calling this a stable coin? What's so stable about it that you need to put stable right in the name? So what's the difference? Such yeah. a good point, Brian. I mean, one of the rules of thumb I've discovered in crypto is everything is the opposite of what it purports to be, right? <laughs> currencies are not currencies. Stable coins are not stable. Centralized means centralized. Uh -huh. There, you could even combine them together, these, these, these meaningless words, to create meaningless phrases, like some absurdist uh, uh, attempt at German. There are th things called DAOs, which are de supposedly decentralized autonomous organizations. Well, they're neither decentralized nor autonomous nor particularly organized. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're a mess. And so there's a joke of the skeptic community that basically crypto is speed running the last half a millennia of financial mistakes, right? It's all the stuff that we've tried that just hasn't worked. And, and so your question is, why does it keep going? And the answer is, that, well, it's not working for the vast majority of people, right? Like the 99, well, the, the vast majority have lost money, but it's working for somebody. And so you have to ask, well, who's it working for, right? The people that issue the coins, the people that run the exchanges, uh, the marketing companies that, that get the marketing dollars in, the celebrities who benefit. But the, the poor the poor guys holding the bag here are the retail customers who have gone into the casino thinking they're going to get rich and instead they lose all their money. Um, sorry, I didn't answer the stablecoin question. Yeah, what do, to, they, what, do the, they even, what do they pretend to mean by, by stablecoin? Sure. So a stablecoin is, is theoretically uh, a, a coin tied to a regular currency, an actual currency. So in the case of El Salvador, the stablecoin that's really in question there is a, is a company called Tether. One tether is theoretically worth $1. And you should ask yourself, why is that necessary in crypto? Well, once you've entered the casino and you've bought a bunch of crypto, you probably want to stay in the casino for as long as they can, as long as you're winning. Because to come out of the casino and to transfer back into real money, you're going to trigger a taxable event. You're going to have to go through a bank account. And so you want something that you can go in and out of in between your speculative plays on the price of this or that crypto going up or down. But you don't want to be exposed to the volatility of crypto itself. Mm -hmm. So you're sort of, you, they're, they're Gensler, Secretary uh, Gensler of the SEC uh, calls them the poker chips at the casino. And I think that's right. That's the correct metaphor. They're, the majority of the transaction volume in crypto is actually conducted in stable coins. It's people kind of gambling with these chips and using them to also, I would argue, most likely manipulate uh, the price of the other cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. And um, they're run by, in the case of Tether, who, who by the way, Tether and the people that are behind Tether uh, have uh, allegedly been very involved in trying to reformulate El Salvador's security laws. And Bukele said as much, right? That's right. And so these guys are some they're going to be featured in the book. They're, they're pretty, uh, <laughs> they're an amusing group. You're talking about a company that has 12 employees, according to LinkedIn, 
that was once worth $80 billion on paper. So I think it's now 60-something. So they've got a dozen employees. There were $60 billion. They have fewer employees than my neighborhood deli, and they're running a $60 billion company. <laughs> and it's awfully hard not to look at them and say, well, they got, a, they got a money printer, right? They got this thing that in the casinos, the crypto casinos is supposedly worth a dollar, but how much real money is actually backing that? So they make the chips. They make the chips. But your question is, you know, a chip is just a piece of plastic, right? In this case, it's a piece of code. What's the real asset backing it, right? And, you know, if you want to go into detail here, the, um, one of the big tells of Tether, in my opinion, is the way they control the redemption process. When you're running a Ponzi scheme, one of the things that you really need to do is make sure that people are not trying to all get their money out at the same time. Because it's not there. <laughs> so when you try to get your money out, uh, the whole thing falls apart. Um, you know, it's what took down Madoff was the, the subprime crisis when the markets crashed, everyone tried to get their money out only to discover that it wasn't there. Well, that's when hedge funds run into trouble too. That's when they, right. When they start to pause redemptions. Everybody's like, oh wait, why are you doing that? That's right. And they're using leverage and leverage is used in all sorts of, you know, uh, mainstream financial products and, and things like hedge funds. But when you're actually running a Ponzi, when there really isn't a product there to begin with, that's when you get into real trouble. What Tether does is, and this is on their website, you can look this up, that you are not allowed to redeem Tethers for less than $100,000. They just won't even engage with you. So tethers are being traded on the casino floor amongst participants and the, the, the casinos keep a certain amount of liquidity there so, so they can go in and out. But the real money, the people that have bought tethers in the billions, um, they, a lot of them have exited their positions. So the question is what happens if and when tether falls apart, which is which admittedly has been the boogeyman for a long time of crypto skeptics. We've thought that tether, you know, tether had to settle with the New York attorney general uh, in, uh, in early 2021 and agree not to do business in New York, the financial center of the world, uh, which would seem to be a, <laughs> a high, uh, you know, a, a bad sign if you're running a, a supposedly uh, a revolutionary uh, uh, technology stablecoin company. Uh, they had to settle and they had to agree to uh, quarterly attestations, but the company itself has never been audited. And I think that's just a big red flag. Um, they've got some guys who have sketchy pasts, and, you know, you could make a plausible argument they're running a counterfeit uh, dollar operation. What's their response been to skeptics like yourself who've made this criticism of them? Because typically in the financial world, if you issue an analysis that's, that's this blunt about a, a firm, you're going to hear from lawyers. You're going to get threatened with lawsuits. How dare you make these claims about us? Do they ever do that? And what has generally been their their response to the, the, the kind of suggestion that there's not a whole lot of difference here between a Ponzi scheme and what's going on or the chips in the casino or Gensler's points. Yeah, it's, I, I have to say that it's been quite shocking to me. I'm the son of a lawyer. I would have thought that we, Jacob and I, would have been, if not sued, I would have assumed we would have been uh, uh, criticized and there would have been some threats made. We wrote this article for the Washington Post on Binance, which is the largest uh, crypto exchange uh, in the world. And, you know, in there were some pretty startling facts about the massive conflicts of interest in Binance and the way that Binance had failed to it just shut down at several points in 2021 as the price of crypto collapsed. All of a sudden you get, couldn't get your money out, which again, goes back to redemptions. And, and, and tells of a Ponzi. And there was no fish, there's no pushback. I mean, we, we asked for, you know, they, they, there were no clarifications. There was nothing. In fact, they, they're trying to, you know, talk to us to explain their side of the case. I, I, I think what's happening, I mean, if you looked at it from a legal perspective, I'm not a lawyer, but um, these are companies that are not domiciled in the United States. Uh, uh, the volume in crypto runs through offshore exchanges. Um, in the case of Binance, they, they famously don't have a headquarters. There mm -hmm. is no Binance <laughs> headquarters, <laughs> which is pretty remarkable, right? They're run through these shell corporations in the Caribbean. And same with, same with uh, uh, Tether. I think they were banked at Deltac in, in the Bahamas or somewhere. So, you know, my guess as to why we haven't been sued is, I mean, I can't speculate as to whether we're right or wrong, but they probably don't want to 
you know? <laughs> I mean, if you sue us in American court, you're going to have a discovery process, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I'm, 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 I'm surprised there hasn't been more pushback, but yeah, I can't speak to their motivations. So in the White House reports that came out this week, a lot of it seemed to be pretty vague, um, gesturing in a variety of different directions. But one of the few things that was a little bit less vague was a suggestion that, okay, maybe the U.S. ought to create a U.S. digital currency. And I'm, I'm curious what that means, because to me, I don't quite understand why, like what I have in my, you know, bank account app is not a digital currency because, you know, I can move it digitally from my checking account to my savings account from, and, or from my checking account, I can, you know, use it to pay for things digitally. Obviously though, there's something different because they're talking about creating it and they're getting all of these, you know, different agencies and smart people together to do it. Uh, so what would be the difference between a U.S. digital currency and, and the currency that we currently have that we can move around digitally? On one level, there isn't much difference. Uh, you're right. We, we, one of the sort of amusing things about cryptocurrency is that you needed to create digital dollars to begin with. I mean, the vast majority of our dollars are not physical hard currency, obviously. They're just you know, numbers and bank accounts, databases and bank accounts. And so on that level, there, there isn't much difference. There are, however, some potential gains to be had, uh, arguably, by creating basically sort, sort of cutting out the middleman in terms of the banking system and allowing the Fed to, each of us, to have our own account at the Fed that, for example, um, imagine there's another pandemic and the Fed needs to issue stimulus checks. Well, if everybody has their own account, they can do that immediately, right, with the click of a button. And... You, you save all this time, this effort, and you have an immediate economic impact. And I think, you know, economists and central bank people get all excited about the, the potential advantages there because, of course, a lot of people don't. You know, we, we do have a problem of banking the unbanked in this country. Uh, a lot of people who don't have access to bank accounts are getting screwed over by uh, payday lenders and things like that. So you could, you know, there's potential savings there. Um, what's fascinating about the central bank digital currency proposals, which are still, I would argue, in their nascent stages, I don't think they've really, in America, I don't think it's really gotten that advanced that I'm aware of, is that they're not based on blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> they're not based on, right? They have nothing to do with blockchain because blockchain doesn't work, right? So it's very funny, you know, when crypto was in its heyday only a year ago, you would have a lot of conflation, our purposeful conflation of like, look, you know, there's this rumor that, you know, the U.S. is going to go to a digital currency. That's going to be great for crypto. Well, no, <laughs> obviously not. Because if, if the thing that you say you're making, this, this supposed digital currency, which is in fact not a currency, um, if it's replaced by the Fed issuing it, then your business model is destroyed. I mean, to be blunt, you're, 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 there's no reason for you to exist. But it's all kind of a bit of smoke and mirrors because... What the Fed is really doing right now, as far as I can tell, is there, let me see, I've marked it. I'll just read from the, uh, the statement. Sure. Quote, to make payments more efficient, the Federal Reserve has planned the 2023 launch of FedNow, an instantaneous 24-7 interbank clearing system that will further advance nationwide infrastructure for the in instant payments alongside the clearinghouse's real-time payment system. So they're, they're working on sort of like the, um, the plumbing of our, of our uh, banking and clearinghouse system. That's not sexy, it's not interesting, it doesn't really have much to do with, with retail regular folks' uh, uh, everyday experience. But I think that there are advances that can, that can you know, that are on the horizon there. Other countries are trying this kind of stuff, Brazil's trying it, uh, India. But ironically or, or amusingly enough, you know, this has nothing to do with blockchain and none of them are using blockchain. So unfortunately, crypto is, uh, is most likely going the way of the dodo bird. Does that mean that because they're not using blockchain, it wouldn't be as energy intensive? What is it about crypto that makes yes. it, it is the blockchain that makes it so in, bizarrely energy intensive? It's, it's the uh, proof of work concept that uh, is tied to Bitcoin itself. So proof of work is in order to basically, you're trying to run a, a system, a tr quote unquote trustless system, which is a whole other topic we could talk about because you, you can't create... <laughs> From economists, it's very funny because you can't create a trustless money because money is trust. Right. 
you know, we, we made up money. There's a great book, Money, by Jacob Goldstein, who is a, uh, one of the hosts of Planet Money. And in, in his book, Jacob writes, the thing that makes money, money, is trust. You know, it's, we made it up. Um, so creating, you know, replacing with the computer code is sort of, uh, it's a story. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting story. It's not, a, it's not a true story. What proof of work is, is in order for us to run this system where we don't have to trust each other, we're all going to, you know, validate each other. We're all going to run these computers that are going to sort of constantly check each other and make sure that the, the, the blockchain is accurate. And in order to incentivize people to validate those transactions, if they guess correctly, they, these computers run 24-7 and they guess at random numbers and letters. And if they guess correctly, they get Bitcoin. They mine a new Bitcoin and they get the money that's associated with it. Um, it's not a very smart system, <laughs> to be blunt. I mean, I, I went to the largest crypto mine in America, just outside of my hometown of Austin, in uh, March of this year. It's called the Windstone Facility. And it's a former Alcoa aluminum smelting plant that has now devoted to mining Bitcoin, where they just run these warehouses of computers. And they burn in enormous... Just banks of servers? Yeah, it's crazy, man. And, and they use... So in 2021, Bitcoin used the energy equivalent of Argentina. Um, and the greenhouse gas, is the, the estimated greenhouse gas used to consume that electricity, that energy, was it more than offset the electric vehicle <laughs> savings that we had done, that we had accumulated globally for that year. So it's ridiculous. You're running this tiny little program, which actually has quite few users. Crypto is actually quite small in terms of people who are actually trying to transact in it. And the cost is massive. Um, and you're not getting anything out of it. Again, Bitcoin can only process only five to seven transactions a second. Visa can do 24,000. So when you talk to computer scientists, they just tear their hair out. They just they just scream, almost almost literally scream in agony. Like, we this doesn't work. Stop trying to make this work. Uh, you can switch from proof of work to what's called proof of stake, uh, which is what Ethereum is doing. This thing called the Ethereum merge, but that then ma makes it awfully clear that you're running a security because that's basically a, a proof of stake is basically like the people that have stake in it that own a bunch of the Ethereum. <laughs> they're controlling, you know, what to do with the network. Hmm. So that sounds like a share of a stock right. to me and to the government, by the way. I think the SEC has already sort of hinted that that's going to that's be coming. So the whole thing kind of collapses in on itself because, again, it's, there's nothing new under the sun. They're just taking money from people, speculating on it. And unfortunately, in this case, the, the casino is unregulated, so, so most folks are going to lose. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And now one of the things that the that governments don't like about uh, crypto is that it has been used, you know, on the on the black market, and in 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 there are cases where I think that's actually a good thing. Like in in general, I kind of think that it'd be nice if people have some way of getting around government surveillance to you know to a, you know to a point. Um, yeah. Is there any way that people could create some type of asset that can get around government surveillance without it becoming one of these Ponzi schemes. Yeah, I mean that's a great question, and we do hear about that. We hear about people using it um, basically because they've run out of better 
better options, right? Right. I mean, folks using it in Afghanistan. Um, there's an article about folks using it in Argentina where there's hyperinflation or, or massive levels of inflation. I don't know if it's technically hyperinflation yet. But, um, you know, places where the currency or the banking system in the case of, of Afghanistan is just not working, right? And the trick there is that there's, it's, it's difficult to come up with an alternate payment method that can't be used by the bad guys just as much as it can be used by the good guys. And quite frankly, the bad guys often have more money <laughs> to, to try to launder and move around. So it's one of those really difficult and perplexing questions. You know, I would say if you're not trying to send it overseas, the original way of doing this is cash, right? right. I mean, that's, that's the way you do it, you know, for all the folks that are uh, <laughs> here in America and trying to, uh, you know, give your give folks that work for you a little tip or do this or that is like, you know, you give them, give them some cash. And I don't knock that. I actually think that's sort of like a good, you know, kind of good, well, I shouldn't say it's a good workaround, but it's, it's, it's a way, it's a time-honored workaround. The problem is sending it internationally. I don't know how you do it. The, 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 the worry here that I have in terms of folks being, being paid in crypto is the volatility of the price, but also that when it comes to a company like Tether, at some point that company might fail. That company might might crash because it doesn't actually it, it it might not have the the reserves that it says it has. If that happens, all hell breaks loose, and you know they can't get any of their money out. And and so there's a real uh, you know counterparty risk there that I think is is significant and and not to be discounted. So I think folks use it when they have to. And, and I don't begrudge people that pay others in crypto. We've, we've heard from a lot of different people in a lot of different circumstances. That's really their only way of doing it. But it, it, it'll be painful if, if, if it crashes even further and, and wipes people out. And I started the show by saying that we can't really ignore this any longer. But is, but is that true? Like it, it sounds like on some level that maybe this might just crash and burn and work itself out. Yeah, that's, you know, it... It's the question that I keep going back over and over again. I was talking to an economist yesterday, and we were arguing about it. I don't know, of course. No one knows the future. Uh, I, I'm skeptical, but then again, that's my, uh, <laughs> that's my forte, I guess. I think that you have to separate out, as we've been talking about, digital currencies and their future from blockchain. So when you talk about blockchain, I think blockchain will probably not, it won't disappear but its uses will be confined to small systems uh, where you would want to create an immutable ledger that could track, uh, you know, I, the economist I was talking to was talking about memorabilia, you know, Pokemon cards. You could create a blockchain for Pokemon cards. So people could trade them back and forth. Okay, sure. Uh, I, I got nothing against blockchain, by the way. It's just, right. a, it's just a ledger. I can't be mad at a, le a ledger. What I'm mad about is, uh, is, the, is the potential fraud behind, you know, behind the markets these days. So blockchain will probably be around in some limited way, is my guess. Uh, digital currencies probably are the future. We're probably a little bit away from, from really honing those and figuring those out. And there's some experimentation going on. But my guess is that, yeah, that'll, that there's potentially large savings in, uh, in intermediaries and cutting, actually, in a weird way, sort of addressing the initial issue of crypto, trying to cut out the middleman. The problem is that they cut out the middleman between the thing that they, they hate the most, the Fed, <laughs> the, mm -hmm. the central authority, and, and, and the actual uh, consumer. So that, that's my guess as to where it's going, but let's see, we'll see. It, it, once, once the fraud washes out and these things are classified as securities, I'd be very curious to see what's left in terms of the current, uh, quote unquote, cryptocurrencies. What happened to NFTs? They, they, they go away, <laughs> they still, like, they were, they were everywhere for like two weeks. Yeah, yeah, I, well, you know, yeah, I, I you know, so, so NFTs, were these fascinating things that for economists are just total head scratchers. Like what, I mean, cryptocurrencies are bad enough, but in it, you're buying a, a non-fungible token, which as far as I can tell, is basically a receipt for a JPEG. It's like, a, it's like, hey, I bought this thing. Let me show you it's on a blockchain. And you can right click and save a JPEG. You don't need to, you know, buy it for millions of dollars worth of cryptocurrency. So. It was hard not to see that, it is still hard for me not to see that. It's just pure speculation. Somebody's gone in, they've accrued a bunch of crypto, and they want to make even more crypto, 
And so they gamble on it, and there's there's some status games going on. You know, it's like, oh, I got I paid a bunch of money for this 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 uh, NFT that the celebrity was hawking. But when you get into the plumbing of them, the the wash trading in NFT in the NFT marketplace was was off the charts. I mean, it was <laughs> I read something was, something said ninety nine percent. Some study had ninety nine percent wash trading, which meant that means just people moving NFTs back and forth between y- accounts. Yeah, sorry, yeah. So wash trading is like you just you just you're just selling it back and forth to accounts that you control, making it look like mm-hmm. there's a real marketplace, but there isn't one. And and so my my suspicion is that sort of what happened is that it 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 was even more filled with air. And as soon as crypto itself started crashing and people actually needed to get back out into real money, they're, they're no longer speculating on NFTs. And it's, you know, it's the most bubblicious of all the bubbles. It, it, it pops the first. And, and NFTs are, are really fascinating because they don't even, in my understanding, they're not, they're not really even the digital art itself, um, which I think can be interesting. Sometimes it's gauche, sometimes it's interesting. Um, but you're, you're buying this thing, which is sort of like a, a link to a URL. It's like a, it's like a, a little like it's a receipt. It's a very weird thing, and um, I think folks are going to realize pretty quickly that uh, they may have lost all their money in that regard. The other selling point of this, uh, people talk about the security of it all. Yet I keep seeing people getting ripped off and robbed, and they're, they somebody stole their frogs or whatever. Somebody stole their NFTs. <laughs> somebody stole their Bitcoin. Like. Like how how do they keep getting this their pockets picked if this is the most secure system that they can develop? Exactly, exactly. I mean, for a supposedly decentralized system, there's a hell of a lot of different protocols, and you've got to do this, and you've got to go through this person and do you know this intermediary. And at every juncture, because it's unregulated, there's not only nothing stopping people from ripping you off. There's also almost arguably very little even disincentivizing you from ripping you off. Like, why not rip you off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that goes back to just faulty philosophy here, that you could eliminate, that you could create this money that's trustless in a, in a system where you didn't need to trust anybody. You just had to trust the code, so to speak. Well, code doesn't fall from the sky. Uh, code is written <laughs> by people <laughs> who, are, who are running companies, right? that are trying to make money. How are they making money? Well, you know, they want to sell their coin and they want their coin to be valued and this, that, and the other. But to your point from, from a while back, like what's separating what they're doing from penny stock fraud from the 80s or, or you know, micro cap from the 90s? I mean, people just inflating some security and then cashing out. They look awfully similar. And I think in crypto, you know, you just have to question is anyone, are we really going to keep doing this where people are just going to get ripped off? If you talk to folks in crypto, and I, I did walking around South by Southwest and uh, the Bitcoin conference in Miami, which is the biggest Bitcoin conference in the world, and I would ask folks about people who've lost their money due to scams. And one of the first people I asked, he goes, oh, well, you know, I've been scammed. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I had to, I had to learn. I had to do my own research. It was a learning experience. And then I asked the next person. He got scammed as well. <laughs> and I swear to God, almost everybody I talked to in crypto has been scammed at one point. It's sort of a badge of honor. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't learn this or that or the other, and now I know, and now I'm better. But you know, you gotta gotta do your own research. You gotta learn. It's fascinating to study from you know the, the, the psychology of it because it, it really smacks a lot of a, a multi-level marketing scheme, where the system can't fail. You can only fail the system, right? Like you. You do, it's not that the, the MLM that you work for uh, isn't a good MLM. It's that you didn't sell enough of it. Mm-hmm. You didn't you know, do it correctly. And it's sort of similar with that, right? But when you go down underneath it, you go, well, wait a minute. You know, if you got scammed and you work in crypto, you're a guy who devotes your entire life to it, seemingly, then what, what hope do the rest of us have? And isn't money supposed to be easy? Isn't the whole idea right. of money that it's supposed to be convenient and accessible and usable? Um, so, yeah, I think it, it, it really does get to the heart of the matter. Like, we wouldn't really tolerate that with online banking. Like, I opened up a SunTrust account and uh, they took my money. But, you know, then I realized that I had, you know, not, not uh, checked the right box. And so the next time I opened up a SunTrust account, they didn't steal my money. I'd be like, no, like <laughs> exactly, exactly, and, and, and why you can't steal my money? Exactly, and why? Why do you know when you put your money in a in a 
in a bank, a licensed bank in the United States, why do you know your money's good? Because of regulation. Because of the FDIC program, right? The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, which has been around since the 30s, since we created securities laws in this country, which, you know, was all, in some sense, a reaction to the lack of securities laws and the lack of a thing like the FDIC in the 20s and the, the roaring 20s and the crash and the Great Depression, all that stuff. The FDIC, you know, guarantees your bank account up to a certain amount. And, and so you know your money's good and no one has ever lost a penny of an FDIC-insured bank account since it came into being. So, so how does it work? Well, the banks, in order to get that FDIC license, have to follow a whole host of regulations, right? They have to like comply with a whole bunch of stuff. Now, is the system perfect? Hell no, right? I mean, you saw in the subprime crisis, you saw the SNL, you, uh, the savings and loan crisis, you, you, know, you see these banks have all sorts of problems, but at least there's regulations, and the government's saying, in exchange for following the regulations, we're your backstop. We'll, we'll make sure that everyone knows their money's good. That is a way of creating trust, right? Trust through uh, proven experience, right? Through a track record. That's how it works, right? You don't just create trust out of thin air by saying, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's code. It's like, you know, it just doesn't work that way. And the White House report kind of waves at the possibility that the CFTC, I guess the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, would be might end up being the place that that regulates them. I think it already regulates some elements or futures tied to crypto or something. Does that seem right to you, or or do you think it ought to be the SEC since you're talking about these things as as securities? But if they're securities, are 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 they illegal securities because they don't actually produce? They don't actually make anything. Exactly. So, what government agency is in charge of regulating Ponzi schemes? Hmm. <laughs> Is it the Take FTC? Or they're, they're, or they're illegal? No, no. I mean, you're talking about security. Right. Well, so they're FBI? illegal. They're illegal. So they're, secure, so they're securities that have no product, right? They're a Ponzi scheme. They're nothing actually, Banoff didn't actually make the trades or didn't make a fraction of the trades. So, so what, what, what do you think it is? Who's in charge of Ponzi schemes? Uh, the, no. The, sorry, I'll answer for it. The is SEC. The SEC. The, the SEC. The SEC, the SEC is in charge of Ponzi schemes. Uh, if you go to the SEC's website, there is a page, the seven tells of Ponzi schemes, seven warning, warning flags of Ponzi schemes. Uh, if you look at crypto, I think it checks off like five or six of the seven. <laughs> um, right off the bat. Right off the bat. So, you know, look, you can, as you can probably tell, I, I would like the SEC to, to, to be in charge. The CFTC would really like to be in charge. There's a whole, you know, inner turmoil there as they're... They're sort of battling uh, over uh, jurisdiction. And Bitcoin has been classified as a commodity. And it's a very strange case. We'll go into it in the book, but it's super boring. and I won't bore you with it now. But the 20,000 other cryptocurrencies that currently exist sure as hell look like securities to me. And the other thing I'll say here is the real risk of putting the CFTC in charge is that you're looking at potentially a lot of regulatory capture. Um, the CFTC has the budget, I think it's like a fifth the budget of the SEC or a sixth or something like that. And you see crypto really cozying up to the CFTC. One of the commissioners of the CFTC did a selfie with one of the big crypto players. Actually, she just did another one. Hmm. Maybe it's a selfie, but a picture with the guys that she's supposedly regulating. She had deleted the first one, the next one, the last one's up. You know, <laughs> The SEC has always had trouble being taken seriously. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's often mocked, ridiculed for being ineffective. But if you want a really potentially ineffective regulatory body, uh, the CFTC with a fraction of the budget um, you know, might be an even better choice. So I am all I really care about is the, the average Joe not getting swindled here. The thing with the SEC and CFTC, they're not the DOJ. They're not going to charge people with crimes they go to jail for. They can find people. They can refer cases to the DOJ. But at some point, and the DOJ has got its hands full at the moment, of course, at some point, you know, I'd hope for some folks to actually go to jail and committed crimes, uh, be charged with those crimes. Because that's where I think you'll really see this, this sort of house of cards collapse. In the last bubble of crypto during what's called the ICO craze, the initial coin offering craze, 
Um, that I think was really what helped bring down the house was the DOJ getting involved and actually saying, all right, you know, you guys have committed, you know, wire fraud, tax fraud, bank fraud, whatever it is. And, you know, you're actually going to go to jail and that spooks everybody and they, they kind of cut it out. So mm-hmm. hopefully something like that's coming. And you said 20,000 currencies. Yeah, it's more. If you think of them as securities, here's a fun little fact for you. If you think of them as securities, that's more than all the securities in the major U.S. stock markets. Like it sets all the securities listed on NASDAQ and New York Stock Exchange combined. Isn't that fascinating? I thought they started. So they're just popping up new securities constantly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and so you don't know. And so why do we have securities laws? We have securities laws because of disclosure, right, and primarily. You, you, when you're giving your money, when you're investing in something, you're giving your money over to someone, you need to know who the hell's taking your money and what the hell they're doing with it, right? And so the SEC has all of these rules, all these forms you got to fill out. And are they perfect? Hell no. There's so much fraud going on. It's crazy. I'm writing a book about it, so I'm paying a lot of attention. But, but if you think the regulated markets are bad, I mean, imagine the unregulated ones, right? Where there's no disclosure, where you have no idea. You know, these coins, you'll, you'll go on... You can look at some websites and you'll see who actually owns the majority of these coins. Mm-hmm. They could be like 10 wallets, 10 uh, wallet addresses control 90% of the supply. I mean, what are we talking about? You know, that, that's that's such a tell. That's obviously going to give over to wash trading and market manipulation, things like that. And, and, and regular people are not aware. They're hearing from social media, from their friends, you know, hey, I made a bunch of money in crypto. Hey, you should buy it too. And then they buy and, you know, they lose their money or they can't get the money out or, you know, it's, it's a recipe for fraud. So it sounds like this is pretty straightforward. Just have the SEC regulate these crypto securities and then have the Fed create a digital currency for, any, for anybody who actually wants an actual uh, digital currency, which I could see a lot of benefits to aside, aside from that. If you, if you could actually kind of cut credit card you know processors out of you know if stop making 7-eleven pay so much money yep uh to visa and mastercard and just let let them use the fed if, if you would let regular people just set up accounts at the fed and the fed would also then have a lot more control over money supply because they could monkey around a little bit with individual rates that they either charged on credit or 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 gave to savings accounts yeah uh instead of having to like take a gigantic hammer like they'd keep doing, you know, this week with another 75 basis point interest rate hike that isn't, that's such a, such a blunt weapon. Yeah. Like this would give them a lot more nuance throughout the field. So it sounds like if you do those two things, crypto would have nowhere to run really. Yeah. I I mean, uh, that's, that's, um, sounds plausible to me. And I think not only that, but you'd actually have, like, as you're pointing out, quite a lot of upside potentially. You know, you could do, you could fine tune a lot of the stimulus measures. If you went back to March of 2020 and you imagine the Fed had a system like a CBC or, or something um, with more direct access for regular people, then the Fed could, could get the money to the people that really need it much quicker and could also potentially cut out a lot of fraud. Um, you, you've seen uh, the, the, <laughs> they've actually, the DOJ has set up fraud task forces, fraud task forces in, in, in exciting cities like Sacramento to deal with the um, fraud that came out of the pandemic, um, the pandemic uh, stimulus measures, which were, you know, the fraud there is potentially the, one of the biggest frauds other than crypto in history, mm-hmm. because you, you, you turn on this bigot of trillions of dollars and you only need a small percentage of that to be fraud for it to be a lot of money. And you, you could potentially cut that down uh, you know, significantly um, with, with issuing some sort of CBDC. Um, so, yeah, I think the future is actually potentially very bright in this area. But ironically enough, uh, not only will it not involve blockchain, most likely, but it also spelled the death of crypto. And then we could go back to making aluminum outside of Austin. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, you know, at least it's a thing that you can use. Yeah. Uh, you know, we need aluminum. Has, yeah, I know. I know. A lot of craft beer getting bought. <laughs> That's right. So, well, Ben, uh, thanks so much for joining me. This has all been really helpful. Thanks, Ryan. I really appreciate it. Quite an honor to speak to you. And I really love the podcast. And thanks very much. And a, a reminder for people, the, the book is called Easy Money, and it'll be out next year, uh, published by Abrams Press, written written with uh, 
uh, Jacob Silverman, and also check out his, his, his their great dispatch from El Salvador from July of this past year. Producer Zach here. Quick note before the credits. We reached out to Tether and Binance for comment regarding this show. As a publication, we hadn't heard back from them. That was Ben McKenzie, and that's our show. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. Our producer is Zach Young. Laura Flynn is our supervising producer. The show was mixed by William Stanton. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Roger Hodge is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Ryan Grimm, D.C. Bureau Chief of The Intercept. If you'd like to support our work, go to theintercept.com slash give. Your donation, no matter what the amount, makes a real difference. And if you enjoy this podcast, be sure to also check out Intercepted as well as Murderville, which is now in its second season. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. And please do go leave us a rating or a review. It helps people find the show. If you want to give us additional feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much. See you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.